How many of you are ready to finish Jude tonight? You ready to finish Jude? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in the place of prayer. Lord, we just thank you that you're a good God, a loving God, a gracious and a merciful God. And Lord, you did indeed give us the Holy Bible. And Lord, every word is inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, breathed out by God. And so, Lord, we approach this sacred text tonight knowing that it's not like any other book in the world. This is your God-breathed word. And, Lord, we thank you for it. We pray you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts to understand. I pray you will edify us, build us up in the faith, and help us, Lord, to be strong and mature and Christ-like, even as we... Uh, experience, Lord, such a dark culture. We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Would you just breathe a prayer and say, Lord, build me up so that I can shine into this dark world in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, it's going to be good tonight. Amen. All righty. Um, now, as far as I know, and I'm just letting you know, I'm headed towards teaching on the covenants and um, helping us to understand our Bible. Truthfully, how many of you can say, I got to tell you, Pastor Jeff, sometimes that Bible doesn't make sense to me. Tell the truth. Come on. Especially when you're in the Old Testament, right? And, and how does it all fit? Well, I'm going to show you. I'm going to take you through that and uh, hopefully just help it make more sense. And, and it will, not hopefully. It will help it make more sense to you. So that's where I'm going to be going. Not just the difference between the old and the new covenants. That'll be one of the main gists, but also the seven covenants. God gave seven covenants in the word of God. I want to tell you what they are and uh, what they meant. And of course, the covenant we're under now. And I think when we're done with that series, you're going to really, uh, how many of you are going through the Bible in a year with me? I do it every year. I mean, I, I do it every year. Now, um, then if you're going through the Bible with me, uh, it'll, it'll really help you to grasp what you're seeing, especially uh, when you're going through some of the Pentateuch. Uh, isn't Leviticus just wonderful? Don't you love Leviticus? Don't you want to memorize Leviticus, right? All right. So things like that. All right, let's go to Jude. Now, last time we closed with Jude addressing the return of Christ with 10,000s of his saints to judge the world. Jesus is coming to judge the world. And what an awesome, solemn event that will be. Every eye will see him. He will come with clouds. He will come with 10,000s of his saints. That's just, that number is used as an infinite number. He's actually returning with the church. And so can I just blow your mind with something? When he comes back in the second coming, you're coming with him. Jeff, do you really believe that? Well, of course I believe that. That's what the Bible says. Of course I believe it. Now, following his impassioned exposure of apostates in the church, because that's what Jude is all about, remember how it began, Jude 1, 3, that we should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. The faith, that's how we began this series. Verse 3 is the key verse upon which all the rest of the book pivots. 
He says, I want to encourage you to earnestly contend. That means fight for, go to the mat for, I mean, take a stand for the faith once delivered to the saints. So he says the problem or what we're really fighting against is apostates, false teachers, false doctrines. Listen to me, church. Anything that undermines the person or the work of Christ is a false teaching. It is a cultic teaching. It is the kind of thing that Jude rose up about. So did Peter. So did Paul. And much of the New Testament was written to counter teaching, false teaching, that undermined who Jesus was, what he did, what he accomplished for us, teachings that claim he's not deity, he's not God in flesh, he didn't rise from the dead, He wasn't crucified on the cross, which is what Islam teaches. Any false teaching, if you show me any cult, and I'll show you a teaching that undermines the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what Jude is so riled about. He said, I started out to write about you or write to you about our common salvation, just to share some things with you about our common salvation. But the Holy Spirit changed me up. And now I've got a burden, and I want you to know that I've got to talk to you about these apostates, these false teachers. I've got to talk to you about that. Let me warn you. And he has been impassioned about it, and boy, he has not withheld any (laughs) adjectives that, 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 that are not out to make apostates like him. So following this, this lengthy and passionate exposure of apostates in the church, Jude now turns his attention to God's true people. That's why I've called this tonight, but you, beloved, but you. Now let's talk about you. You who genuinely love Jesus and seek to grow in him. Now picking it up in verse 18, he begins with an exhortation consisting of four verbs. And I want you to say them with me. Building, Building. praying, Building. Keeping, keeping, and looking. Right? These are four verbs. He's going to exhort us with every one of those verbs, building, praying, keeping, and looking. So let's begin with the first verb, building. He says in verse 20, the first half of the verse, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now let me ask you right up front, who's doing the building here? Building, what's the next word? Yourselves. You know, I can teach you, Every Wednesday and every Sunday until we all go home. I mean, I'm talking about to heaven. I can teach you for years. But every believer has a responsibility to build themselves up. Build themselves up. Uh, And and so we need to quickly, if if we're a newborn Christian, a a brand new Christian, we need to quickly get to the place where uh, uh, you're learning how to get into the Bible on your own. Read it and feed yourself on your own. So that this is not the only place you get fresh bread. But you gather that manna for yourself every morning. Because, look, I can't come to your house and put you in a headlock and say, have you gotten with God today? All right? So he says, building yourselves up. Now, Jude says, in light of all the apostasy swirling around you, the godlessness of the fallen culture, the wickedness of fallen men, and the viciousness of a fallen devil. Set your focus, make it your aim, 
to build yourself up on what? Your most holy faith. Make it your aim. You can't sit still. Let me tell you a truth about spiritual growth. If you're not moving forward, you're going backward. Say, no, Jeff, I'm just kind of sitting still. No, you're not. You never sit still. If you're not moving forward, you're going backward. Promise you. If you don't get up every day and say, today I'm going to paddle a little bit forward. Have you ever gotten in a life raft uh, in the ocean or just one of these floater, float, floating rafts, you know, for pleasure to go bag some rays? You're out, in the, out there in, in the ocean and, and you lay there and you say, I'm just going to lay here for a little bit. And you look up and open your eyes in about 15 minutes and you are way far from shore. You say, how'd this happen? I wasn't paddling. Well, it took you. It's the same way with spiritual growth. If you don't paddle forward, you're going to go backward and you'll get up one day and the shore of your walk with God and salvation and all that uh, the church and everything that entails uh, being right with the Lord and walking with the Lord is going to be way far out there. You got to paddle every day. Amen. You got to paddle every day. So he says, in, in light of this this, this dark world we're living in, I want you to build yourself up, paddle every day. Get up and get in the word, pray. Spend time with God. As we've been preaching on Sunday, and I'm going to preach it until it falls on us. The word build here, he says building yourselves. The word build is used of, a build, of building a structure on a foundation that's already laid. All right? So Paul the Apostle talks about this very thing. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 11. I'm going to read that part to you. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. Now he's talking about himself and the apostles. Me, Peter, James, John, we are God's fellow workers. But let me tell you who you are. He says, you are God's field. God has sown into you like a field. And you are God's building. He's building something in you. He's building you. You are his field where he has sown, and you are his building where he's working. It says in the Bible in Ephesians, you are his workmanship. All right? Now, according, Paul says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it, But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, here Paul talks about the spiritual foundation that is laid in your soul the moment you get saved. When you and I heard the gospel and and we said, Jesus, come into my heart, the foundation was laid. The foundation was Christ. We weren't saved by Buddha. We weren't saved by Muhammad. We weren't saved by hugging a tree. We weren't saved by anything but Jesus himself. That's the foundation. He says, now, since you've got the foundation laid, you are God's building. And the building has begun with that good foundation. The only true foundation is Christ. And that means salvation by grace through faith, the finished work of Christ on the cross, and redemption through his shed blood. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. Now, he says, once the foundation is laid, we got to build on it. If we build our lives upon any other foundation, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you build on any foundation other than Christ, it is a foundation of sand. It's not a foundation of rock. 
Paul goes on to warn in verse 10. So let each one take heed how he builds on the foundation. The New Living Translation says, whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. You got to be careful who you listen to. You got to be careful what you read. You got to be careful what you believe. You've got to be careful what you accept into your life as far as direction and guidance and principles for living. You've got to be very careful. Because once the foundation is laid, folks, I promise you, you're going to build something on top of it. You're going to order your life around a set of principles, truths, beliefs, ideals. You're going to build your life around things like that. Let me say those things again. Principles, truths, beliefs, ideals, values. You're going to build on top of that foundation. And here's the deal. The danger is you can start right and you can end wrong. Oh, yeah. Everybody look at me right in the eye. You can start right and you can end wrong. You can start strong and you can end weak. You can start successfully and end failing in what God began. It all depends on what you build on that foundation. What's guiding you? What, 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 uh, um, what leads you to make your, helps you make the decisions of life, moral decisions, ethical decisions, philosophical uh, uh, eth- uh, decisions about how you live your life, where you go, how you conduct yourself, what informs your walk? Okay, that's what he's saying. Now look at what Paul told the Galatians because they had started right and they were ending wrong. And this is exactly what Jude is talking about. Galatians 1, 6, he said, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Notice, they started with Jesus as the foundation, but they started listening to something else. Okay? He says, you foolish Galatians, and I love this, who has bewitched you? You're bewitched. He says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He said, you began by being born again by the spirit of God, and now you're thinking that your salvation depends on your works and not on grace? You began in the spirit, and now you're ending with the works of the flesh, which can't save anybody. Didn't you learn that? Isn't that why you came to Jesus? Because you read the commandments, you saw the commandments, you realized you couldn't live up to them. And so you, it, it whipped you into Christ. It whipped you into grace. The commandments whipped you into grace. Because you said, I can't save myself. If I keep this commandment, I fail at that one. If I, fail, if I succeed at that one, I fail at the other one. The commandments were not given to save us. They were given to make us despair of our own ability to save ourselves. So you read those Ten Commandments and you go, oh, that's beautiful. Don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness and so on and so forth. But then they quickly realize we can't live up to all of them. We fail. And James said, if you fail at one, you have failed at them all. So what did they do? Paul says in Galatians, the the commandments were like a schoolmaster that whipped you into grace. You said, you said, wow, 
Uh, if he doesn't just forgive me and have grace on me, I'm never going to be saved. And the Lord said, that's what I was waiting for you to say. Here's my only begotten son. He, he's living the commandments out for you. He's never going to sin. And when he dies on the cross, I'm going to take his perfect righteousness and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to put it on him. So we have imputed righteousness. That is, we are reckoned righteous by our faith in the gospel and in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Galatians now have been listening to Judaizers who were telling them, hey, what do you mean all this grace stuff? What's all this grace stuff? You've got to keep Moses' law or you'll never be saved. So Paul now says to them, who's bewitching you? Where are you getting this? You started right and you're ending wrong. I love what Paul says to them. You ran well. You were doing so great last time I saw you. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You began well, but you're in danger of ending badly. That's what Jude is talking about. Build yourself up in your most holy faith because you want to start well and you want to end well. All right? So it, 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 not only is he my savior, I want you to say with me, he's my teacher. He's my teacher. Once he's my savior, he's my teacher. He's my teacher. I mean, Jesus told us how to do life. He told us how to do it. He told us how to walk it. He gave us kingdom principles for living. So once I come to him as savior, he immediately becomes my rabbi, my teacher. And I, and I order my life around his teachings, not worldly stuff, not Oprah, not some talk show host. Not People Magazine, but what Jesus said. So Jude says, you better be very careful to build up yourselves up on your most holy faith. Having begun in Christ, we must go on in Christ. This is the constant refrain of Scripture, everybody. You read your New Testament, read Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude. They're all concerned with this one thing. Now that you're saved, go on. Paddle every day. Go forward every day. Take a step forward in the kingdom every day. Grow every day. Give you some examples. Hebrews says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, read the next four words with me. Let us go on to perfection, which means maturity. Here's Second Peter. You have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be, watch this, carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Who's he talking to here? People who are about to be saved? No, he's talking to Christians. He said, be careful how you build on top of your foundation. But grow. What are those next two words? But grow. In what? The grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look at Paul in Ephesians. He said, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, back and forth, up and down, always unsettled, always agitated, always carried around with this. Look what he says. Carried about with every wind of doctrine that blows through town. By the trickery of men, the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but he says, speaking the truth in love, what's the next three words? May grow up 
in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So he says, don't stay, children, long at all. But, but build on the foundation the principles of Jesus Christ's teachings, the truth, the ethics, the morals, the values. So, well, I don't know what he said. Well, you need to get in your Bible and read the red. Amen? Read the red. Jesus is the root and ground of your most holy faith, so go on in him, grow up in him, grow in his word, his grace, his love, his truth, his holiness, but every day, grow. Every day, go forward. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? Amen? Amen, amen. So everybody say with me, building. Let's say it again, building. So that's his first verb. Now he comes with another one. He says, praying, praying. He says in the second half of verse 20, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now this phrase means that we pray in his strength and in his wisdom. He moves and directs our hearts with how to pray. The Spirit places on our hearts what to pray for. Now let me remind you of something I said Sunday. Remember, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer is a praying Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, it says, the minute we turn to Christ, then the Spirit comes to live inside of us, whereby we are born again and we look up and we say, Abba, Father, I've been born again. Now you are my daddy, literally. I have been begotten by God by being born again by the Spirit of God coming into my once dead soul, but now I am, have been made alive in him. Now he says, once that happens, you need to realize that the spirit that came to live inside of you is a praying spirit. He, he's a praying spirit. He's not a fog. He's not a mist. He's not an idea. He's not the force be with you kind of thing. The Holy Ghost is a person. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He, he has emotions. You can grieve him. You can make him have joy. Uh, it said the Spirit rejoiced. Uh, you can find uh, where the Spirit uh, was, was uh, angry inside with a righteous anger. Uh, the, the Spirit of God is a person with accompanying emotions. And he prays. Paul said he searches the deep things of every person and then he prays for us according to the will of God. Let me read it to you. It says, Romans 8, 26, the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So since he's a praying spirit, some of the best praying we can do is to allow the Holy Spirit to impress our hearts and lead us to enter into prayer with him. Amen? With him. Now, let me take this a bit further. The more we allow him to guide us in our praying, the more we will pray, and the more effective our prayers will be. Prayer is not, folks, twisting God's arm to do what he doesn't want to do. But it's praying according to his will, entering into his burden, joining with him to lift up to the throne room what he impresses us with and what his word reveals. See, I told you that that Sunday, I was very transparent with you, that Saturday, uh, when I always pray for the services on Sunday with with a lot of intensity, I didn't feel like praying. I just didn't. You know, no particular reason. I just wasn't feeling real prayerful. 
So I thought, well, I'm going to pray anyway. And so I got down on my knees. I went into my prayer closet. I shut the door, as Jesus said, and I just began to pray by rote what I, what I knew I should be praying. Lord, bless us tomorrow, you know, save souls, and just things that I knew were in line with his will. And I went for about 15 or 20 minutes this way, and all of a sudden, I was not alone. And the, and the Lord came into that room. And, and all of a sudden, I was praying over things for things that I hadn't thought of when I first started. But I was aware I was being carried by the praying Holy Spirit. And I was giving him a voice to pray through me. And I, and I prayed. I prayed particular targeted things that I had not thought to pray for. But I prayed for those things. And, and, and then... I stood up because I was feeling so moved and, and I was starting to pace a little bit. And, and now all of a sudden, far from not feeling like praying, I, w- I had the prayer fire on me. And, and all of a sudden, it was like the Lord just began to impress my heart. And I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't hear the, the Lord speaking to me in the room. But he began to impress my heart about certain things, uh, 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 about the church, about me, about our future about what he wants to happen. And you know what? He shared some things with me about how it's going to go down in this church. Certain things are going to go down in this church. And what I mean by that is the way he's going to bring certain things to pass. And and I was just standing there. It was like a holy hush was on the room. Now, I'm sharing this to tell you that I didn't feel like it at first. But I have a praying spirit living in me. And when I gave him... Opportunity to move my heart. He did. All right? He did. And I really do believe that's a lot of what real powerful prayer is. Because all of a sudden you're praying over some person you haven't thought about in three months. Or you're praying over some something that has not occurred to you that you weren't even thinking about when you started praying. That's because the Holy Ghost is bringing things to you. This is a key way we build up ourselves in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, carried along by his prompting and his guidance. And I got to tell you, it's one of the most powerful weapons in our spiritual arsenal to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. This kind of praying releases the power of the Holy Spirit against Satan's strongholds and achieves things that will never be accomplished by argument, debate, organization, or politics because you move the hand of God. So let's say the words together. His first word is building, then praying. The third word is keeping. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, the word for keep here is from a Greek word that means to watch over or to keep an eye on. Keep your eye on. Uh, How many of you have um, uh, had kids? All right. How many of you still have the joy of the Lord? No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm kidding. How many of you can say it was more than I thought it would be, but I thank God for it anyway? Come on. All right. Now, do you remember when you would put them out, like, say, in the front yard, uh, to play when they were little. Do you remember how closely you watched them? Remember? You didn't take your eye off of them. All right? He, that's, that's the idea. Keep yourselves, keep an eye on your heart regarding the love of God. And here's where I really believe he's going. 
The danger that Jude is addressing here, since he's talking to us about contending for the faith, is that of becoming angry, bitter, or filled with hostility against those who are attacking the faith. Jude says, keep an eye on the condition of your own heart. Keep yourself in God's love for them. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Not just you abiding in God's love vertically, but how you view people horizontally, all right? Now, this isn't always easy. I'm going to tell you, I talk to people all the time about the faith, all the time. As a matter of fact, back in the office before I came out tonight, somebody had texted me, debating with me about Jesus. And and, and they were secular. I could tell they were complete secularists. And they were throwing these different things at me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm debating with them and I'm remembering what I'm about to tell you. Keep yourself in the love of God. Because it's hard when they sully your Lord, isn't it? When they mock your faith, when they take their personal attacks, uh, uh, make the attacks personal by, by calling you hurtful names. And I've been called a lot of hurtful names. I have. When they insult your intelligence, when they crush what you hold dear, when they vex your soul by outrageous sins and they offend your heart by their ill treatment of you, Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. When you're talking to them and debating with them and dealing with the devil in their brain, keep yourself in the love of God. Don't get in the flesh and say, well, go to hell if you want to. (laughs) Have you ever wanted just to say, you want to go to hell, go to hell if you want to. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. See you later. Come on. Y'all look at me with those halos over your head like that never occurs to you. You want to go to hell? Go to hell. Go to hell if you want to. I'm just trying to tell you the way to salvation, but you know, hey. Boy, this is going to be good on radio. I heard him tell people to go to hell. No, I'm not. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. You want to say to them, okay, if you want to go to that place for the rest of eternity, go. But he says, keep yourself in the love of God. The Proverbs advise, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your whole life is going to be decided by the condition of your heart. Watch over your heart. Keep an eye on it. Keep it in the love of God. So say with me, build, pray, keep. And now he comes to looking. That's the last verb. He says looking. Looking for what? Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now now the word looking has to do with our focus. He's not just saying, you know, Every once in a while, looking up and saying, well, I believe he's coming someday. But no, it has to do with a laser-like, intense, consistent focus. The word itself means to wait for. The idea is that we Christians are ever and always to be waiting for and expecting the Lord's return. Looking. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking. Jesus said in Luke 12, 36, that we ought to be, quote, like men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, looking, looking. Your focus in life, folks, I'm telling you, is everything. I've learned through the years. I will rise and fall based on my focus. I'll have victory or defeat based on my focus. 
What am I, what am I looking at? What is my inner eye looking at? What am I focused on? Um, some people focus on their problems day and night. All oh, my kids, my, my marriage, my money, my, this job, they're, they're, they're looking at all of the things in life that vex them, all the things that are wrong. And you know what happens? You become consumed with worry. I'm convinced that a giant becomes a giant when you say so. See, the, the, the problem with the people that went over to spy out the land and they saw the giants, 12 men saw the giants, Two looked at them one way. Ten looked at them the other way, another way. Ten of them looked at and said, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Lord, they were way bigger than we were, and we just knew they were going to cream us in a battle. But the two said, no, they're nothing compared to our God. We will take them down. Well, those ten took an entire generation down for good. The first generation did not cross the Jordan into the promised land because they listened to the evil report of those 10 men. But two men walked on over with the next generation, the old guys. Two old guys walked over with a bunch of young people. And and it was Joshua and Caleb. And the reason they got to go over was because they had said, no, no, they're food for us. We will take them down. They're nothing to our God. What was the difference? Focus. Perspective. So that's why I say a giant becomes a giant to you when you say it is. Other people focus on things that cause them to stumble and they lose the battle with temptation. Others focus on the negatives in their life. Their cup is always half empty. You say, how are you doing? Oh, man, it's not good. I'm not doing good at all. This is wrong and that's wrong. The other is wrong. And they drown in complaining. But the Bible says the Christian's focus is to be on Jesus. Hebrews says, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes. Can you say that with me? Fixing our eyes. Let's try it again. Fixing our eyes on what? Jesus. Fixing means, man, I am am stuck on him. The author and the finisher of our faith. Why is it so important what you focus on? Let me get real with you tonight. The truth is, terrible times lie ahead. In these days of galloping apostasy, we are witnessing an apostasy. We are. There is a huge departure from the faith in the West. Not just America, but England's 10 years ahead. Uh, What used to be uh, churches that used to be full of Christians are now full of Muslims. It's hard to find a a truly thriving, uh, soul-winning congregation in England. And we're about five, ten years behind. And there is an apostasy. There is a a departure from the faith that Paul said. In the last times, there's going to be a departure from the faith. Men will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines taught by demons. There will be a departure from the faith. And it's happening. Whole, whole denominations have walked away from the faith. They don't even open up the Bible anymore. As God's word and Jesus, the Savior, are removed from our society, let me be real with you tonight, that society will embrace and even celebrate the resulting breakdown of moral standards. It's happening right now. I, I often think 
of Lot, who Peter describes as a righteous man, but he was tormented, vexed in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day living in Sodom. Now, that was his fault. He moved there. He didn't have to move there. He moved there as a backslidden man, but he still had a walk with God in his heart of hearts. He still was right with God or Peter wouldn't have called him righteous. But, but he lost everything because he went into Sodom. But once he was there every day, it says every day he heard things and he witnessed things that vexed his righteous soul, vexed him, tormented is another word, his righteous soul. He was tormented. How did I end up here? How did I, why did I move here? Not only am I hearing it, but my wife is hearing it. My daughters are hearing it. My sons-in-law are hearing it. I brought my whole clan here, and what have I done? I should have stayed with Uncle Abe. Because he's over there, still living in a tent like he was supposed to, as a sign, we're just passing through this world. This world is not our home. That's why Abraham and the patriarchs lived in tents. We're looking for a, a better country whose builder and maker is God. He's talking about heaven. Uh, uh, I, I should have stayed with him. He, he's there blessed. He's, he's having conversations with God. But here I am. I'm vexed every day. It, it depends on what you, uh, it matters a whole lot what you expose yourself to. But watch this now. I understand that statement about Lot. Now, I'm not calling myself super, some super righteous person or super saint. But I'm going to tell you the truth, church. My own soul, and, and I believe the souls of millions of committed Christians around the nation are increasingly vexed by the wicked deeds of the ungodly in America. Has it ever been seen like it is now? I mean, can I just give you one example? I could give you tons of them, but this one is fresh on my mind. The inconceivably wicked law signed by Governor Cuomo, I'll say his name because he did it, on January 22nd in New York, allowing babies to be aborted all the way up to birth. And guess what? And if they survive the abortion, they can be left to die. Now, I, we reel in horror it's such an abominable thing. How did human beings sign this? Amen. But you see, without the spirit of God, listen to me, the flesh can do anything and fallen souls can go anywhere. And, and I want you, we, I reeled in horror when I read it, but it passed. And really to add insult to injury, the New York Assembly stood and cheered at its signing. How twisted and sick can that be? Can we just talk real? I mean, take my Christianity away from me. Just as a human being, how does that not just, uh, uh, how is that not beyond your ability to go there with a conscience? Can I tell you? They don't have one. They can't have one. I feel... Looking at when they stood and clapped, I felt like I was watching a Stephen King horror movie, but it was real. 
and it deeply vexes. Can we identify with Lot and say that every day, more and more, we see things, we hear things that vex your soul if you're a child of God. They vex your soul. Now, let me get even more real with you. As God is removed from society, here's what's going to happen. And, and by the way, when he's removed, his values, his truth, his ethics, and his moral laws go with him. And that's what really matters. Not just God, but everything God stands for. Everything God teaches. Everything God has imparted to the human race by way of principles for living and ethics and morality. They all go with him. And the spirit of God goes with him too. Now, inevitably, what happens when God is kicked out, anarchy ensues. I mean moral anarchy, which in turn brings totalitarian rule. Listen, freedom is always lost when God is exiled from a culture. Can I say that again? Freedom is always lost. You say, we want freedom from, we want God out of here so we can really be free. You're a fool. Because when you kick God out, you cease being free. You, you cease being free because you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And so if you kick God out, let's flip the coin. You shall not know the truth. Therefore, you shall not be free. And so what happens is when freedom is lost due to kicking God out, when God is exiled from a culture, totalitarian governments take over. They always do. Look at the officially atheistic nations of China, Russia, and you can name some others. They're controlled by totalitarian governments. Why? If, if, if life without God, if society without God is the road to freedom, then why are the anti-God atheistic nations not free at all? Why aren't they free? Why aren't they the freest nations on earth if kicking God out is where real freedom is found? We don't want the restraints of God. We don't want God, the borders that God puts around us. We don't want the parameters. We don't want the rules. We don't want God. All right, kick him out. Now tell me how free you are. No, what happens is you lose your freedom. The reason America has been the freest nation in the history of the human race is because we established this nation on the Judeo-Christian ethic. And if you don't believe that's true, go read the founders. Go read them. They quote the Bible voluminously. They talk about Jesus this, Jesus that. One of the litmus tests for politicians once was you had to be a Christian. Whoa, that'd be over. That'd go over big now, wouldn't it? I mean, this whole idea of no God brings freedom is idiocy on parade because God brings freedom. I don't know about you, but when he came into my heart and I was redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the Holy Ghost filled me, for the first time in my life, I started getting free. I started getting free. And so as America has turned from God systematically and incrementally for years now, we see the resulting vacuum filling with people and politicians seriously pushing socialism. So he's getting political. No, I'm not. Stay with me a minute. Because socialism is an ideology that has a spiritual root. People now in government are seriously pushing socialism, which is nothing more than communism light. Socialism precedes communism. 
like clouds precede a storm. And, and, and you say, well, what does it matter if we go socialistic or communistic? Because you lose all your freedom. Do you want to be bound? you want to be chained? Do you want to lose the ability to go when you want, where you want, make the money you want? I've been to communist nations. I visited China. And I met with a man who was a brilliant master's degree level electrician. Brilliant guy. And we went to his place. There was no heat. It was freezing in his little domicile. And when we got ready to eat, he gave us a hard-boiled egg that was lime green. And we began to talk to him. Hey, um, so you're a master electrician. Uh, are you able to rise economically? Are you able to make more money with your skill? Oh, no. They set your, they set your income level. You can't go make what you want. They set your income level. Socialism, really? Freedom? Are you kidding me? Freedom? Are you nuts? You want somebody taking what you have earned and giving it to somebody who's never lifted a finger to work a day in their life just because they need it and because you have more than them? Are you kidding me? My Bible says if any man will not work, he should not eat. Boy, none of this is in my notes. I'm cranked for a minute here. But, but I got to tell you, are you kidding me? I mean, the very fact that people pushing socialism are standing in front of TV cameras and people are believing them and accepting them and voting for them is crazy. If you love what God has given this country. And, and how, did, how did we get free? It was based on the Judeo-Christian ethic. Free market systems, capitalism, that all came from understanding of scripture and how God wanted us to be free. 40 years ago, I'm telling you, their ideas would not have gotten down the street. But now they're taken seriously by entire political parties and those political parties are pushing it. All of this, folks, is going to set the stage for Antichrist who is going to rise to power in a godless world that has rejected the Savior. Paul wrote, Listen to this carefully. Let nobody deceive you by any means. For that day, the Lord's return, that's the day, will not come unless the falling away, that's the apostasy, comes when? First. And the man of sin, that's Antichrist. Listen to the descriptives of him here. Man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. That's what he will do. The coming of the lawless one. There's the third descriptive. Man of sin, son of perdition, lawless one. Is according to the working of Satan. He will come with a satanic anointing. With, with, and he will manifest power, spiritual power. Signs, lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why will this happen to the culture that is quickly coming down the pike. Why will it happen? Read it with me. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So when you push out truth, what comes in? Freedom? No. Terrible bondage. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie 
that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. Could that be more clear? It couldn't be more clear. That, that Antichrist will come into a vacuum left from rejecting God, pushing truth out. And he will fill that vacuum and he will look like our Superman, not mine, but the world's Superman. Charismatic, convincing, persuasive, eloquent, articulate, handsome, attractive, appealing, magnetic, charismatic. Now, thank God, here's good news. The church is going to be caught away before Antichrist appears. Amen. We will escape the coming judgments, the rise of the Antichrist, the great tribulation, the outpouring of the wrath of God, and the battle of Armageddon. Because we have not been given over to wrath, but to receive mercy. While the world is tasting the bitter fruits of apostasy, we will be tasting the heavenly fruits of eternal life in our resurrection bodies. Amen? And so Jude says, let's say them together, build yourselves up, pray in the spirit, keep yourself in God's love, and look for his appearing. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Amen, amen. Amen, amen. And now we're, we're, we're just about to close with a verse that used to really perplex me. Jude says in verse 22 and verse 23, he says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, you know, so he, he's saying here, I want you to have compassion on some people, making a distinction between them and somebody else. What does that mean? Okay. Well, here's what I believe it means. The apostates themselves are doomed. The Bible says so. They've renounced Christ. They've renounced salvation. They they want nothing to do with God's Savior. They're doomed. The Bible is clear. But their victims, the ones who have been victimized by their teaching, can yet be delivered and saved. That's the distinction we're to make. Am I dealing with an apostate here or am I dealing with somebody that's been victimized by them but I can still reach them? Their victims need compassionate Christians to help them untangle the lies and come to the truth. Sometimes, have you ever noticed this? Love finds a way where logic can't. Amen? Now let's move to the next thing he says. Then there are others we must treat with great caution. Others, he says, others save with fear. Now, you remember when Jesus said, I want you to be wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. Now, let me ask you a question. Which comes first? Say it. Wise as a serpent. Why do you reckon that that comes first? Because some people put gentle as a dove first and get taken to the cleaners. You've got to be as wise as the serpent you're facing. In other words, let me put it the way a good northeastern person would put it. You've got to be smart. Sometimes Christians are so dumb, and I've been one of them. Oh, we're just got to love everybody. I just love everybody. Come here, let me just love on you. And, and you're sitting there hugging a devil. 
but you don't have enough discernment to get you down the street, much less recognize who you're dealing with. Sometimes we, we deal in stupid love. And I've done it, so I'm not just talking to you. I'm saying so as the speaker. Stupid love, where we just love somebody, but we have not been wise first. We haven't been discerning. We haven't checked them out. We haven't, we haven't seen who they really are. We haven't exercised caution. We've just stupid love. And Christians do it all the time. Churches do it all the time. I'll see it in the news. Some church will come out, you know, trying to protect some group of people or whatever. And, and I can tell they mean well, but it's stupid love. They're not being wise as a serpent. Devil's smarter than a lot of believers. So where am I going with that? Well, I've personally seen well-meaning Christians fall into the same sin they were seeking to bring others out of. Oh, listen to me. I've been around a while. You go and you say, I'm going to help this person who's caught in immorality. I'm going to go help this person who keeps falling in adultery. Or I'm going to go help this person who has got this terrible drug habit. Now, you go and you start working with them. And you're not being wise as a serpent first. You're being stupid. I know I'm being really raw tonight. I think I'm in a raw mood. But I know I'm telling you the truth. I mean, look, I'm talking, I've done it so many times. Jeff, you were just stupid then. You were just stupid. You put love before wisdom. Okay? So we go and we start working with these people. Oh, you you don't need to be living in immorality like this. And they start talking. Oh, but it's, it's just so good. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? And, and, and I'm sorry, but boy, it just helps me get rid of stress. And I just, and, and you, after a while you start going, well, maybe they've got a point. And instead of being wise as a serpent, you're in stupid love because you're not watching out for yourself. That's what he's saying. Save others with fear. The fear being you better deal with them with caution because the same thing they're doing, you could fall into. I've seen it with false teaching. Oh, I'm going to go straighten them out. You grab your Bible, you think you're a master theologian, and you go over there to deal with somebody who's deep in a cult, but they're in it so deep, they're real good at talking about it. And there you go with your Bible, and you're alone, and they start talking to you about the little nuances of, of Scripture and of theology that they twist in order to fit into the cultic theology. And, and after a while, you go, wow. That just, that's just really starting to make sense to me. Before we know it, we're having to come get you out of there too. Where'd they go? Oh, they went over there to help so-and-so. Where have they been? Well, I haven't seen them in months. We got to come find you now. Are y'all with me? Come on. So I've seen people, I've seen both things happen. I've seen people be corrupted morally, and I've seen them be corrupted into false teaching. So Jude is saying, in dealing with some people, you've got to use wise caution, wise as a serpent. Approach them with another believer at your side. That's why the Mormons always go in groups of two. They know to go in groups of two. Because their sin can ensnare you. If you're not careful, 
Now, Jude ends on a triumphant note. Hadn't this been fun tonight? All right. Now, look at verse 24. I love this about Jesus. Let's read it together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Turn to your neighbor and say, he can help you where you don't stumble. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your temptations. Let's stand together. We're going to read it together standing. Thank God we serve a Savior who can keep us from stumbling. No matter how dark it is out there, he can keep us from stumbling in here. Let's read it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And let's keep right on reading verse 25 and we'll close. Take it forward one time. There we go. Let's read it. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, Jesus.